Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Daily Drop-In, happening every single morning with the Teach Better team at 7 a.m. Eastern, streaming currently and successfully on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. That's been a constant joke this entire week. I'm trying to not have tech issues, and we are having a successful streaming day, so good morning. We are so thrilled to be here. We have so much in store for you on Wednesday, September 29th, because the one the only Dr. Dave Schmidto is in the house and we are talking about his passion. So I just want everyone to know there'll be a lot of nerding out in your future. So if you're not in the game to really geek out, this may not be the episode for you. Please go fill up your coffee. We'll have a good news story that is really exciting about what you would do with $400 million. And we have some recommendations for you to continue to dive into questioning and assessment. So we'll be right back. Get ready. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Drop-In every single morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. It is Wednesday, September 29th, and we are thrilled to be part of your morning. Dr. Dave Schmidt, oh dude, how you doing? I am doing great. I am just sipping on some coffee, hanging out with my buddy. It's a great way to start the day. This is a day that I was quite excited about. I mean, I sat in on um, both the AM and the PM Mastermind yesterday and I really love soaking up all the all the things, Dave Schmidto. But now knowing that I get to have you on Daily Drop In for an entire hour, I'm 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 a little excited. Just to say, I'll be honest. Yesterday was yesterday was fun. You know, I love hanging out with all the leaders. But then when I see your little box pop in and you're hanging out with us, it it, it like supersizes it, and it's just epic. So, and I get to do it again today. This is pretty cool. No, honestly, I, I'm always thrilled to be able to pop into those masterminds. The team does so many things that I don't always get to make it to every single event. By the way, if you guys are trying to make it to every single event, you can head over to subscribe to our Teach Better events calendar because there's so much. I feel like I'm constantly trying to figure out how to fit it all into my day. But Dave, the conversations yesterday on Admin Mastermind, specifically with leaders that came together to talk shop, there was some tricky dialogue to be out like that was like a really worthwhile dialogue both in the am and the pm sessions that's what's so cool about those groups is they have really evolved into these trusting communities where they're they're not just say yes communities where people just come to get affirmed that everything that they're doing is spot on correct with and aligns with everybody else's thinking it's it's a community where people can push and challenge and question and say i've got a slightly different perspective and open up our eyes to new ways of doing things. And I, I love it. I grow so much. I wish I had had that back when I was a building leader because I know I would have been way better than the mess that I was. I just find it interesting. And I don't mean to you know, stay on this topic too long, but for those of you who aren't in the admin mastermind, I, I really can have a ton of respect for a group that comes together and brings up topics that don't have right answers so there's like no def definite way to know that we got to the point that that person was seeking necessarily. And you have different perspectives from there. People are from different states, different countries. And 
when they don't agree, it's like this space that it's okay that you don't agree because you're all just in it for the students and in it to get the teachers the support they need. It's a very interesting dynamic that I find like fascinating. Like I want to do a psychological study of our mastermind. For sure. I mean, just yesterday's topics alone, we went from sex ed to instructional coaching and talked about all the things with all the things. So, I mean, it, it was good. If you're looking for a place to just have some good conversations, let that be the, the trailer that gets you there. That is true. So if you are in any sort of leadership position, head over to teachbear.com slash mastermind. Our admin mastermind is one of the masterminds that we're able to have. And I just, I don't know. I just feel like every week that is my PD because you get people together to talk shop outside of, you know, all the other good stuff I get to do. Like this is PD, I guess, too. But <laughs> the mastermind's always a ball. So I really appreciate it. And we did at least conclude that you and and I shouldn't be teaching sex ed we, we did conclude that, you know. Done. Guaranteed. Yes. Definitely, definitely not the topic of choice. So, anywho, good morning to everyone that's here. Uh, Karen's in the comments. We have Adam here. Adam, we hope your birthday was wonderful. His birthday was yeah, earlier. Happy belated birthday, Adam. Yeah, so good. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Brad Hughes, Chad in the house. This is such a good morning already. Uh, we have a lot in store, Dave. And I know that, I mean, okay, I know I say this. You're like the face of Teach Better. We all know you. That You're not a stranger to the camera. You're not stranger to the lives. But because today I get to truly pick your brain for an hour, can we pretend that someone may not know you and you can go through like brief background? Because you're going to be sharing a lot of different pieces, I hope, today in our dialogue. And people might want to know what your background is in. Fair enough. So let me start by saying... Not quite sure what we're going to talk about today. I it, We could go a thousand different directions. So I apologize. We're not following a script today. It's just having a conversation. So that that's going to be a whole lot of fun. So I'm going to unpack a, a few things just in case we go in any of these directions. I'll start on the, the personal side. Four kids. I say that because a lot of times my kids come into the stories and anecdotes that I tell. My oldest is in high school. Youngest is down in first grade. So I've got a first grader, a third grader, a fifth grader, and a sophomore. God bless me. Um so that is, that's one side of my life. On the other side of my life, I am in my third decade of education, um, which means I'm an old guy. And in that time, I've been a middle school teacher. I've been a middle school AP, uh, an athletic director, a middle school principal, an elementary principal, an assistant superintendent, um, college professor. I've worked in a couple of different states and get to hang out with a lot of cool people all the time now. Now I get to hang out with the Teach Better team as a director of leadership and training and just hang out and learn and be a sponge from very, very, very cool people all over the country and world. So that's me in a nutshell. It's a good nutshell. I liked the old guy focus with really cool. Experience. It's too bad that you weren't busy in your life. Like even just with all the things you've listed in, in the titles as if that actually even meant something, you know, that there's so many layers within those pieces of things you've been able to do in education, but too bad you haven't done anything. It's really important. Well, it's, it's interesting that some people look at it like, wow, there's a lot of experience. Other people look at it like, wow, were you never good at anything that people would just want to hold on to you? So you can look at it really two different ways that ah. I constantly get pushed around or I've just done a lot. So yeah, I've, I've been around the block a little bit. I think it's great. You know, this week we are, um, we obviously have a weekly theme every single week for daily drop-in. This theme obviously is something that we continue to talk about, but we also take questions live from our crew that joins us as we stream at 7 a.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. So 
while we might think we're going to go in a specific direction today with this dialogue, you also have the power to control this conversation just as much. So make sure that throughout this time, if you have questions on our theme this week, to throw it in the comments or even questions just about the one and only Dr. Dave Schmidow that you want him to answer, put him in the hot seat. I love it. Make sure you throw those in the comments as well. Our theme this week is all about the power of questioning. And we've had a lot of dialogue this week around not only the concept of questioning, but it's tied to assessment and everything in between. One thing I know you didn't mention, Dave, is that you are a very, very successful published author. And your most recent book, and I say recent because there's like a million of them. There's actually four. I do know there's four. But the most recent one actually focuses on the topic of assessment, which is why I was so thrilled to kind of pick your brain this week, because this is clearly a passion topic for you. It's we could geek out here and we could turn daily drop it into like a four hour thing today. Um, unfortunately, I've got a flight to catch. So people don't worry. That's not going to happen. But we could because, yeah, this is one of those areas that I love to talk about. I love to geek out about. And uh, ironically, it's one of those areas that not a whole lot of other educators really geek out about until we dive into it. A lot of people, when they hear assessment and data, say, I'm going to stay away because I'm all about relationships and all about kids. But my my spin on it is that they're they're part and parcel. It's the same conversation. They're dovetailed. So when we go today, just I, I give you permission, Ray, mute me at any time, shove me off the screen at any time because I might just go off. He did say that, friends. He was like, okay, before we go live, just let me know like, if I talk too much. I'm like, you're not going to talk too much. We want to hear your insight, Dave. We love it. Um, good morning to all the people in the comments. We're seeing Nikki jump in. We got Patty Patty with us. So good to see all of you. Um, before we get into you geeking out, Dave, before we get into the concept of questioning, assessment, muting you, kind of all that fun, I thought we'd start with our good news article for the day and then also dive into some celebrations so that we can get our kind of like juices flowing this morning in our brain before we dive into the really nitty gritty pieces. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right. We'll be right back. All right, friends, every single morning at some point in the show, we love being able to bring you a good news story and celebrate the holidays for today. Some of the holidays are goofy. Some of them are fun. Some of them are religious holidays. And all these holidays in general give us something to think through as we continue to work with people. Different people celebrate different holidays. They all acknowledge these holidays differently. And it's always wonderful to be able to say, hey, let's celebrate. So before we get into all that, Dave, I have a very, very important question because our news article that we are going to bring up this morning kind of caused me deep reflection. And I would love to pose to you some deep reflective questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. If right this moment I surprised you and said, Dave, you've been a great friend of mine for the last few years. I respect you like crazy. I want you to be happy with your life. If it's okay with you, I'm going to write you a check for $400 million. What would you do with the money? You would never know. I would close the computer midstream. Um, and I would be living on an island somewhere with no cell reception, no internet. Um, hoping that a message in a bottle makes it some to me someday that you've simply said, hi, Dave, just checking in. Or you're more than welcome to come hang out and live there as well. 
Um, but the rest of the world would have no idea that this ever happened because I'm just gone. Well, yeah. I would at least need to get you the money before you like went hey, off on this adventure. Feel free to just Venmo me. I got I'll it. You. <laughs> you know what? I see uh, Mark Heller in the comments. Mark, we want to know what you would do with $400 million. Actually, everybody, while I get into this article, if you could please take two seconds in between brushing your teeth and picking out your outfit for the day, type in the comments, give me one line or like five words. What would you do? with $400 million because the Mega Million winner was just announced in New York City and somebody is waking up this morning with $432 million after the ticket they purchased at a New York pizzeria matched all six numbers on Tuesday night for the Mega Million drawing, according to lottery officials. The ticket was uh, purchased on 48th and Six, which of course we all care about. And the winning numbers were, dun, 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 I feel like this matters, 36, 41, 45, 51, 56, and Mega Ball number 13, which to me is just cool. Wow. The odds of winning this $400 million were one in 320 or 302 million, according to the lottery's website. So someone is waking up very, very happy. I will say that New York does not allow for winners of the lottery prizes of this type of size to remain individually anonymous. But in 2019, a group of 23 people from Long Island anonymously collected funds from their $437 million ticket. But this is going to be a big morning for somebody waking up on the East Coast. Let me tell you. I, I, I can't even fathom that kind of money. Can't even fathom it. You know, when I think about my my budget and the dent that four hundred thirty two million, like you would have so much money just excess. I can't even imagine what that what that feels like, what that does for a person. I can't. Oh, but I, well, I'm willing looking, to experiment and try it. So well, and you're you're willing to experiment, but you're looking here at the comments, right? Like. First of all, Karen wants you to know that we think Venmo might have limits. So Venmoing you $400 million may not work. All right. I'll stay on the grid for 432 days. Send me a million dollars a day. We're good. Okay. That's fine. I really appreciate you being so accommodating, to be honest. Right. I just you, I just want to make it easier for get, you. You wouldn't get like $300 million and be like, I'm done. You keep the rest. <laughs> but a lot of these are like payoff family debt. You know, um, I love this payoff debts and vets give it to... Uh, then give like no other person. I love that. But e even doing this, you would still have so much money left over. Why, why do you need to invest? At what point do you have enough? I, I feel like, yeah, I'm taking it. I might invest and say, okay, kids, you'll have some money waiting for you someday. But daddy's got $431,999,999 to play with. So yeah. I mean, there will be money left over, thankfully. So can we talk about... <laughs> Build a state of the art exhibit at Plano Middle School. This is Mark Keller right here. Buy a mountain ranch to disconnect. So he wants to go away too. He just doesn't yeah. want to be on an island. He wants to be in a mountain. Fair enough, man. Yeah. I think it's 2K per day. Oh, this is oh, the limit on Venmo. You're never going to get this money if you can only transfer $2,000 a day. All right. Well, use PayPal as well. Um, we'll figure this Dave, out. No worries. Dave, I have $400 million. I'm going to get a jet. I'm going to come and hand you a check. Like Done. You're, Done. you're not that far. You're in Florida. Okay? Like, I'll see you. It's fine. Okay. Fair Better enough. Better yet, where are you traveling today that you're catching a plane for? 
Uh, today I go to DC, back up to Michigan. I'm actually flying through Chicago on Friday and then back home. I know. But then next week I'm hanging out with you a little bit in Northern Illinois. So that'll be fun. Fun. So better yet, like I might come to see you in Florida, but maybe I'll just meet you at one of these other spots too. Done. It'll just be okay. easier to give you the check. Sounds good. Sounds good. Anyway, spoiler alert, we are not the winners of the $400 million, but if we were, I will actually truly tell you. I would share it with all of you because I'd still have money left over and you'd be happier and I'd be fine. So it'd be good. I'm just saying. I, I want you to know that when Dave asked me this question before we got started, I was like, oh, I think I'd still work. I'd give to charity. Like I'd obviously pay off my debt, but that would be such a luxury. And Dave's like, I'd be gone. You'd never see me. <laughs> you are such a better person than me. <laughs> such I, a better person. I don't know. I like um, that you'd buy comics. That's good. Yeah. Mm. yeah that's okay. Cool. All right, we're going to head into, oh, wait, we have holidays. Dave, holidays. There's big holidays today. Terrible. We're getting distracted. There's a, a super coffee? important one. Oh, the coffee yeah, is so good. Somebody should make is a it? day just for coffee. You know, the last time, I don't know if it was last time on Daily Drop-In, but a recent time on Daily Drop-In, we discussed the order of coffee. Do you have a flavor in your coffee right now? Actually, it's maple pecan. And first of all, is it pecan or pecan? Okay, we have debated this on this show. Where have you been? It's pecan. <laughs> okay, that's what I have today. Maple pecan coffee today. Does that mean it's well, sweet? It's not. It still has that bitter coffee taste. It was. It's like the, I didn't have to add the flavor. It came in the pod flavored like that. So it's, it's subtle, but so good. Okay, well, I'm so glad because today is National Coffee Day for everybody out there. Um, they also, in addition, which I thought this was the same holiday and it's not, it's National Coffee Day and National Starbucks Day. Coincidence that they're on the same day? I don't know, but I can only assume that anywhere, any major company that is selling coffee or is known for selling coffee will be doing something exciting today. And then I can only assume that Starbucks will also be doing something big today for their National Coffee um, Day, National Starbucks Day. So Dave, as you're flying around the country at an airport, make sure you stop at a Starbucks and pick up oh, a, that's a, a cup of coffee. That is um, one of the good things about flying around the country is there's always a coffee shop nearby. Yes. It's also VFW Day, which is always going to be something that you can bring to students and discuss. It's World Heart Day, which is very, very cool. I can only imagine the celebrations that will be had around that. The awareness will be brought of that. And then uh, just to make all of you aware, it is also, again, another Jewish holiday. I can't believe that we keep mentioning that, but it's Simcha Torah today. So, uh, again, does not have any fasting element. There's just the celebration that I'm sure if you have any Jewish population, uh, they'll be spending some time in temple this afternoon. So lots to celebrate, Dave. I think I'm going to drink extra coffee to celebrate mm. National Coffee Day. You, you like to party like I like to party. I like it. I like it. Today's going to be a coffee to cocktails kind of day. I like that. That's good. We're going to head into Brainstorm Bank and get into some discussion on assessment as we sip our morning coffee. So we'll be right back. <laughs> All of you know that our brainstorm bank is an intentional time for us to look at you, take a pause and say, hey, do you need anything? So we're going to be taking your questions live as well as diving into the concept of questioning and assessment, which continues to be our theme all week long. We've had incredible guests that have been able to share their voice thus far and will only continue throughout the week. So we're excited to 
kind of enjoy our Wednesday discussion that we'll have here. We'll also be ending with a recommendation for you to continue to foster your learning in this area. I will say, Dave, before we get into this big, hard-hitting topic, I do see um, not really a question, but a statement I'd like you to address. Adam says he's never had a cup of coffee, which I have to say, I respect. What are your thoughts on like, like coffee or even like a, an adult beverage? My mindset's like, I don't need it to have alcohol in it. I don't need to have the caffeine. I like the taste. I don't know. So oh, lots of lots of things I can go with here. When I'm having a drink of any capacity, I am zero calories unless it's coffee or alcohol. So that's kind of my mindset. If I'm going to have calories through liquid form, it needs to do something more for me than just increase my waist size. So, oh. yeah. So your mindset is like, if I'm going to have a coffee, you'll, you're willing to drink the calories because you get energy from it. That's what you're yes, saying. Yes, exactly. Yep. Interesting. I've never heard that strange perspective. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into this topic. I know you guys are going to have a whole slew of questions this morning for Dave, but Dave, I kind of want to start with the basics. When we discuss the power of questioning, there are a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of avenues to go. Our discussion yesterday, which I know you listened to with Tom Shimmer, was incredible, connecting the art of questioning and assessment together. When I told you that this was our theme this week, when I invited you on, can you share your initial thoughts? Yay. This is exciting. Um, how long is the show going to be? Because this is one of those concepts that it's, it's not a simple concept. You know, when you start talking questions, some people just say, what are the question streams I should be using? Can you give me the question starters to use? But it goes so much deeper than that. Asking good questions, it's it's a mindset, first of all. The purpose behind asking questions, and a lot of our minds has to shift and change from what it currently is to what I believe it should be. So we you can know, understand you, I, if we need to. And I think it's interesting that we start there because a few weeks ago, um, we did a show and it was a Friday. I was with Brad Hughes live and we had a question that um, what was posed in the comments, we addressed it. And it was really about this focus of that our weekly themes can never encompass the entire topic, yeah. that we are really here to start a conversation, get you thinking, give you some moments of reflection. And then our hope would be that something sparks an interest and you go and pursue further information in that area. That's why, for example, on Wednesdays, especially today, Wednesday, September 29th, every Wednesday we give you a recommendation of how you can continue your education in this space. And so that's with intention. You know, I don't think that there's any educational topic that we could go Monday through Friday an hour every single morning together and say, okay, you're an expert. You don't need to learn about this anymore. And questioning is, is a perfect example of that. This is a, not necessarily a skill that anyone has, has mastered. Yeah. It, it's one where I think everybody knows the importance behind it, but it's so complex. Teaching is hard work. Let me just put that out there. Every aspect of being a good teacher is extremely difficult. I get that. And I recognize that. But I also understand that because it's so complex and difficult that in, in some capacities, we look for things that we can streamline and try to make as easy and simplistic as possible because we have so many other things. Questions and assessment, unfortunately, have been those things I think that we've pushed off in a lot of areas. A, because we don't like how other people have used assessment data questioning against us. So we've said, 
I don't believe in it because it's how it's being implemented. And two, because it is so complex. And we start thinking about statistics and data and all this other stuff that gets, it is overwhelming. It is exhausting. But there are ways that we can simplify it and understand the complexities of it at the same time. So so as you're thinking through um, the concepts of questioning and assessment, which I know really we've discussed so broad and something that you have dedicated so much of your time to to researching and better understanding how it can be applicable to a to a teacher in the trenches. That's one of that's something I so value about you. It's not just about this overarching concept of we should understand this theory better, but how do you actually get it working? How do you get it in the trenches? What do you think is the most common misconception? So I'm going to I'm going to point out a resource to people right now. If you did not watch or listen to Tom Shimmer yesterday, that's your first starting place. Cuz Tom said something yesterday that I wanted him to just preach it from the rooftops and sit there for the entire hour and talk about. Because it's a huge misconception. What he talked about was the formatting of the questions and how oftentimes we think like multiple choice and true false questions are bad questions because people think they're they're low level questions or that they can't get to the heart of understanding. And that is so far from the truth. You can have amazing multiple choice questions and amazing true false questions because questions, the right questions aren't designed to simply say, what does a kid know? But the right question is designed to say, what is a kid thinking? Or what is anybody thinking? And when you start to unpack what somebody's thinking, that question should lead to more questions. So don't get yourself caught in the trap thinking that the question format limits the question's use. It's interesting, Dave. That was one, truly, I think the only moment yesterday where he got very intentional with his with his language and he was adamant that, he, yes. that, that this was something that he wanted to get across to our audience. And I think that that, that power he had to shift his very easygoing dialogue to saying, no, this is a misconception that I will not allow to exist in this field was really powerful. That was at the tail end of the segment. For those of you that uh, didn't tune in yesterday, uh, I really encourage you to go listen back to that Tuesday episode because it was about the end of our brainstorm bank right before the good news segment on that Tuesday show. That was so fun. Do, do you mind if I kind of just geek out a little bit? I don't know what the timeline I, is for this segment, but I would love for you to geek out, please. I'm going to sit back and sip on my coffee. <laughs> so I, I'll just give a couple of examples so that people can have practical, conceptual understanding of this. So let's just assume I'll give a uh, maybe a math example and a social studies example, two seemingly opposite ends of the spectrum so we can see where this applies. Fair. So I'll start with a social studies example. Let's assume that you are a social studies teacher and you're asking a question that typically others would identify as a recall question. So you and I, we've, we've talked about the depth of knowledge things, but I'm just going to call it recall for the sake of our understanding right now, yep. because that's a whole other can of worms that I might, I might dip my toes into for a second, but a recall question. And let's say you ask the question to your students on a social studies quiz, test, whatever you want to call it, paper, pencil, assignment. And you ask the students to tell you where the Mason-Dixon line is. Maybe you just taught uh, some sort of unit on geography, or maybe it was the Civil War. Maybe you're t talking Reconstruction. Who knows? But you said, where is the Mason-Dixon line, right? Simple question. It's recall. Some kids might have copied your notes during class and literally just memorized every word that you said. And they memorized it. It spans between Pennsylvania and Maryland. And they that's literally what they, they memorized. 
after the test or quiz, they'll forget all that. They won't know. They just memorized it because they just copied your words on that low level recall. Another kid, however, might have remembered the, the answer because they actually went on a family road trip and they remembered when they crossed the Pennsylvania, Maryland line that they saw a sign or they saw a, a party store that was called the Mason Dixon party store. So now they're drawing this extension from a prior experience to know where the Mason Dixon line is because they can remember it from their context and their experience. So for that student, it's not basic recall that they just memorize the, the teacher's words, but they have a context or an extension to pull, pull into their memory banks to help them come up with their answer. The bottom line is in your question that you asked, you're not just saying, did you memorize my words? You wanna know what the kid is thinking, what context they have. You could ask that question in a thousand different ways, which maybe we can talk about in a few minutes to not just determine, did they get the right answer, but how they got that answer, because that's more important. As the teacher, your job is to constantly be providing interventions and or extensions, depending on how you frame it, based off of the kid's thinking, not just what the kid answered. Your questions should be designed to say, what are you thinking, not just what do you know? Because as the teacher, again... Lots of different interventions you can provide. One could be tell the kid, just study more. Go home and make some more index cards and memorize my words. Copy off of me and you'll be and you'll be more successful. That's one approach. Or as the teacher, you can interweave stories, show videos. Um, you can do a lot of things to give the kids more context so they have some of the, the more extended learning that allows them to apply a recall goal with extended thinking. So that's a social studies example. Math example. Let's say, again, I'll do a low-level recall. Let's say you give a, a, a quiz or test or something to a kid, and you ask the kids to define hypotenuse. Maybe it's even a multiple-choice question, or maybe it's just a fill-in-the-blank. Define hypotenuse. One kid answers, it's when you're really cold. Another kid says, it's a fat animal in Africa. Okay? As the, as the teacher... It, back when I was a classroom teacher, I would have looked at that question and their answers and they would both would have been wrong because their answers did not match up with what I was asking for with define hypotenuse. But if my if I change my thinking now, not to did they get it right, but I want to know what do they know? And I'm questioning what do they know? My line of thinking goes a whole lot of different directions. The kid who said a hypotenuse is when you're really cold, I might be asking more questions now to try to figure out, do they understand Latin root words? Did they get this confused with hypothermia? Do they understand what hypo means? Maybe. The kid who said hippopotamus, maybe it was a decoding issue or comprehension issue because I gave them a paper pencil test. Maybe if I had asked them orally, they would have known what it was, but maybe they just left a, a science class or a biology class or whatever it was. And they're seeing that word hypotenuse and thinking it might represent hippopotamus because it was a reading issue, not a math issue, or even a recall issue. Your questions should always lead to more questions, not just check marks on a page. You know, Dave, I know there's so many directions we can take this and selfishly, I'm going to keep taking it in a direction that I want to learn about. So I apologize if any of you in the comments want Dave to elaborate on all these different pieces, please, please, please continue to comment. Dave, I, I think it's a little bit of a struggle for me and I don't want to take us off in a direction that you don't want to go. But I spent so much time in my career sitting in the district office in a conference room with other teachers that taught the same subject or a similar area from different middle schools, 
coming together and building common assessments. <laughs> and there was rich discussion around yeah. good questions, bad questions. How do we shore up making it a short assessment? So what strategic questions do we want to ask? What data, what data do we get about these common assessments? And these common assessments essentially became our summative common assessments for our units. And I used them. I like, I like prayed to them every unit that they existed. I backwards designed my entire unit to be ready for this common assessment. And then in theory, all the teachers could come together, compare data. I mean, we were going to geek out like crazy, right? And I lived by these truly. But then I had to tell you, as we get into assessment, I really find that the art of questioning, the art of assessment, what you just went through in both of your examples is something that has to happen in the trenches of the learning mm -hmm. and not at the end. I think a lot of this dialogue happens at the very, very end. How do you create a good test? But I think that the best part of questioning is when you get those questions to the forefront of daily learning. And I don't know how to necessarily, like, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to get that going. Because in, if, for example, in your math example, like, how do I do that in a classroom? Because you just provided me a whole slew of now further questions that I need to now go ask my kids, right? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think, so I, this I'm going to do Dave Schmidto talking right now. So this is not teach better. This is Dave Schmidto. So if you have issues or concerns, email me, not Ray. Okay. Guys, you can email Jeff at teachbetter.com. E even better. <laughs> even better. Tell them to, to bring on better guests. Yeah. So... I'm gonna say something right now that is probably going to upset some people that have shelves like mine with books galore. There are a lot of people that have written a lot of cool books over the last 15 years that are not based off of any research whatsoever. They're based off of catchphrases, tweets, and Instagram posts. So for example, there is not a shred of scholarly research that says you should um, have summative assessments and formative assessments, that you should treat them as separate things. What the research says is all assessments should be used formatively and summatively. So the LYs on there are super, super, super important. I say that because every assessment should be used to inform our next steps. Every single question we ask should inform the next question we ask. Every time we assess a student, it should be like that, a choose your own adventure novel. Based off of the results of this, it should help us determine the next steps. They should not be used to label, to judge, to categorize, to sort, and select. Again, the research is clear. When we sort, select, and label students, it actually harms kids. It's not like it has a low effect size. It actually impedes their progress. So if we're using any kind of assessment or questions to say, which table does that kid sit at? Which group does that kid sit at? We're actually harming that kid. What questions should do is always inform what we have to do next. Not are you a good teacher or are you a bad teacher, but what instructional moves do I need to make? Which means there should never be an end to anything. You're always saying, what do I do next? Always, always, always. And that's a mindset shift that we have to have. I, I, and I get the, the idea of common assessments, super important, super important for collaborative purposes so that teachers can lean into each other and say, what are you doing? What was your instructional move? What, did, what decisions did you make? Not so that administrators can sit down and say, which teacher is doing this better? Which teacher is doing this worse? That is a wrong approach. Just like we shouldn't be sorting and selecting kids, we shouldn't be sorting and selecting teachers. We should be using it to guide our next steps. 
So with the intentional process in my example that we went through, or we dove into the, the specific questions that were going to get us the most data on the students that we are then mm -hmm. going to be able to utilize to blah, 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 blah. How does that process then become a part of our daily instruction? Because if we're not good at asking questions throughout the unit and only strong in asking questions at the end, are we actually asking questions with any intentionality? And when I say at the end, I know, Dave, that you're saying that things shouldn't end. But as an educator, I know that I need to move on to my next unit. And there is some sort of point where I need to take a snapshot of what my students know. And so yep. <laughs> I, I can't leave my good questioning where I actually get all the information I've been dying to collect the whole time at the end of the unit. I need to do it like on day one and day two and day five and day 12 to actually make a long-term impact. So Ray, you are the queen of questions because you just asked a question that I think was an extremely profound question, yes. right? And what you un what you just unraveled there is yet another thing that has to be unraveled for all of this to make sense. So again, the idea of questions, it's, it's not just something that we have to throw into an assessment at the end of the unit where we say, how do I now calculate the grade to demonstrate what my kid knows? Yeah, questions are supposed to be evidence of learning but more so it's evidence of thinking. Yet another component of that was this these arbitrary endings, right? As a former math, extraordinarily gifted, amazing teacher, you understand that every unit, every chapter, every lesson builds off of what came before, right? right? It's all one big continuum. That's what learning really is. It's one big continuum. Think about it like a, a novel. There might be multiple chapters in a novel, but chapter one is related to chapter three, and which is related to chapter seven. If you skip a chapter, you might be towards the end of the book and say, oh, I don't even know who this character is because I didn't read that chapter. That's what learning should be like in our schools, and in our classrooms. Just because we have split the book up or the chapter up or our pacing guide up into, into chapters or units doesn't mean that they're not still related and part of one big continuum. The arbitrariness is because as humans, we like to compartmentalize things. We like to see things in categories and in buckets and in timelines and chunks because it's easier for our brains to, to rationalize that. But it doesn't mean that that's how learning happens. So when you throw a big assessment, big quiz, big something at the end of one of our arbitrarily decided units, that doesn't mean it's the end of the learning. That should be setting you up for whatever's still coming. If a student still has more questions or misunderstandings from unit one that we have categorized as unit one, those misunderstandings or those understandings should help inform us on what we need to do with unit two as well. There are so many layers to this, but Dave, if I had to ask you one kind of goofy question, maybe yeah. just out of curiosity, and obviously we'll continue to take questions from our comments, so feel free to throw things in. Do you have a favorite element, a favorite conversation, a favorite activity or, or question to pose um, when you're doing any yes. sort of professional development, I know you go into districts all the time and do work on this topic. So do you have kind of like a favorite go-to that gets people thinking about this that you could share with us here? Yeah. Um, and so for this one, I'll have to paint a, a word picture for you. Good. But I want, I want you to imagine that up on, on the screen, I have a picture of a, a bathroom scale, you know, a scale that we step on in the mornings to say, how much do I weigh? And it's an image um, that I stole from a friend of mine's Instagram uh, account. And on the image, it shows 416 pounds. And the question I ask when you see 416 pounds is, is he healthy? 
that the, he in this situation is a man by the name of Patrick. And I got Patrick's permission to, to share all of this. But the question is, is he healthy at 416 pounds? And there are lots of people that have conversations about their judgments on health based off of that one question, that one snapshot in time. Mind you, all assessments are simply evidence of something in a snapshot of time. So an image, it's a snapshot in time. Mm -hmm. Then when we go to the next slide, we see 416 pounds. Then there's another image of 400 pounds, another one at 330, another one at 300, another one at 280, all from Patrick's Instagram account over the last 18 months. And my question is no longer, is Patrick healthy? My question is, is Patrick healthy-er? It's a much different question because one of the things we're trying to determine is the process and the progress. So Patrick has been on this journey now for 18 months of trying to lose a ton of weight. But if we take any snapshot and say that that snap, snapshot tells us the whole story, we, we miss out on a lot. I'll ask you a similar question, Ray. I'm going to give you some facts about me. Okay. 181 pounds, go to the gym every day. I run about 50 miles a week. My resting heart rate is 62 beats a minute. Am I healthy? My answer is yes, but I feel like this is a trick question. <laughs> well, that's it. It's it's yeah, but you know, I, I joke all the time. I love Sir Mix a lot. He's got all those big butts. There's all there's always a big butt that we have to follow up with. Questions always lead to big butts. Yeah, yeah but right, if with that data, you could say I'm healthy. But if I add extra layers to this, right? I'm 43 years old. My dad had his first heart attack at 42. His dad passed away at 42. My, on my mom's side, my mom is diabetic. Both of her parents were, were diabetic. There's a, um, a history of mental illness in my family where I had two, um, my aunt and my uncle both passed away by suicide. I have been on anxiety medication and have seen a therapist for depression for the last five years. You add those layers and I throw that simple question again, am I healthy at you? It's a whole much, it's a whole lot more complex right now, right? Sure. Because you've gotten more information. That simple question I asked you and the surface seemed like a simple question, but sometimes the more information you have leads to more questions. And even sometimes the more information you have coming up with a simple answer is even more complex. And I think that's what we need to remember as educators. Your question should always lead to more questions. Well, what I liked about this example, Dave, specifically, one of my major takeaways in, in your background of am I healthy personally, is that I didn't just need to ask questions about your athletic choices, but ask questions about other things that contribute to your health. Yes. And so that concept as a math teacher, as a science teacher, as a reading teacher, oh my gosh, reading teachers, I, you're amazing. But as, as any educator out there, I not only need to ask questions about your skill in that specific subject area, but dive into how those skills are attributed in other areas <coughs> to collect the right data. Absolutely. And, and so when you're building questions, one of the things that you want to do is we want to implement the scientific method. We want to try to eliminate as many confounding variables as possible. So let's say that you are a science teacher and you're asking a question about beach erosion. You might have some kids in your class that have never been to a beach before. You know, right now I'm sitting in Florida and I used to, to be a principal at a school in Florida, literally three miles from the beach. But because of the, the population that I served, I, I I'd say 95% of those kids had never seen the beach. They had never left their neighborhoods. 
but it'd be super simple for a teacher to assume all of these kids have seen the beach. So I'm going to throw a question on a test about beach erosion when we're studying erosion. Although the vast majority of those kids had never seen beach erosion before, had never seen a wave, have never seen the damage of a hurricane, had never seen sand dunes. If I'm a teacher and I'm asking a question about that, I want to level the playing field and give them all of the information that they could possibly need. Show them a picture of beach erosion. Explain to them what happens with waves. Explain to them what happens with wind. Explain to them what happens with uh, with hurricanes. And then maybe point an arrow to one picture, one little part of the picture that shows erosion taking place. And then ask the question, what is happening here? level the playing field. Don't assume that kids have simply just memorized your words and can regurgitate them back, especially if some kids are going to be depending on using context and extended thinking to answer your questions. Give them the extensions that they need because that's where lasting learning comes from. We're talking about depth of knowledge. We know that the higher order thinking, the, the more extended thinking a kid has, the longer the learning lasts. So allow every single kid to have extensions, not just the kids that can afford to go on family vacations and trips. That's the job of an educator is to give kids extensions, not things to memorize. And this is not just something that you're doing on a big test, but something that you should be thinking through as you're asking questions in the middle of a lesson yes. to, to evaluate student success. You know, Tom yesterday went into so much about the intentionality of when to specifically input a question into the learning progression, all of the suggestions that you've been able to provide today, Dave, shouldn't just be happening on <coughs> evaluation that you're giving the students, but actually strategically throughout your time later today, later tomorrow with the work that you're doing with students. So really important. I know we're going to run out of time here, Dave. Uh, I really want to get to our recommendations of how everyone can continue to further their their expertise, their their knowledge in this space. There's so much out there and so much to dive into. Dave, if you had one call to action that you could challenge, I'd really, if possible, I'd really love it to be like something tactical, yep. something strategic yeah. that we could pose to our network, something they could do today or this week. I What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I'll actually give people a question stem that they can ask that I think gets them on the right track. So when you're asking questions to your kids, what, no matter the age of your kids, ask your kids if they can come up with a simile or a metaphor or an anecdote that helps explain whatever concept you want them to explain. Again, there's a lot of brain science and research behind this and anecdotes and parables and stories and how they go into uh, lasting learning. But if kids can make connections to their current learning using other abstract understandings, then you'll be able to help unpack their thinking, their understandings to help figure out the next step. So if you're asking the question about a hypotenuse, ask them to come up with a story or an anecdote that shows their thinking or understanding of a hypotenuse. If you're asking about the Mason-Dixon line, ask them to create some sort of story, anecdote, simile to represent the Mason-Dixon line. Ask that question and you'll really be able to start understanding their thinking. I love that. That ties everything that we've discussed together because we've discussed how one question when it's a recall doesn't get you all the information you incorporate a story now you don't need to go to the student that misunderstood a hippo because you know you that that is their misunderstanding so you can actually take action right away versus continuing to collect more data to try and figure out what your action should be exactly You're exactly so <laughs> all right we're gonna get into some recommendations my mind's blown i need a minute
our daily drop-in conversation every single Wednesday with some sort of recommendation. Now, every single time we're able to have guests every single week when we're able to have themes to our week, we want to give you some recommendations. These can be books, articles, podcasts, a variety of different things, something that you can go do right now to further your expertise in this area. We work very hard, though, to not recommend necessarily something specific that we've already discussed. So Tom Shimmer was on the show yesterday. He has a ton of books. He has a full podcast. That's a part of our podcast network. We are already recommending that. That doesn't count. That was a freebie. Dave, you have published incredible work around this concept. One of my favorites personally was your most recent book on assessment. We are not using, this is, that's not a cop-out. We're not using that as our recommendation. I always recommend that book as a resource for people. You also have a podcast. I know you are constantly discussing a variety of topics. Assessment has come up numerous times. So I hope people go check out those things as well. What we need right now is a recommendation that we have not discussed yet for people who are popping into this dialogue throughout the week and saying, I want to be better at questioning. I want to be better at evaluating what students need and know how to respond. I want to utilize assessment more effectively. So rather than do the cop-outs of things that we know we already love and enjoy on this topic, what are some new things that we can have um, our, our network go check out? So one thing I had to do real quick is I have to say goodbye to my one of my kiddos. Bye, right now. Kiddo. I'm sure I'll see another one in a second too. So I apologize if that happens again. Love it. Um, so I'm going to offer a recommendation that I, I absolutely adore. It's, it's, a, it's something that inspires me and pushes me and challenges me. I Here's that other interruption. Love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to recommend the work of Star... Saxstein. Oh. I don't know how many people know Star Saxstein, but Star is an amazing educator. She is brilliant. And she takes a lot of these big concepts and makes them practical and useful. She's, um, with, a she's with ASCD, isn't she? Like is she, she, yeah, she does some stuff with ASCD. Um, she had some stuff with Times 10 Publishing. Hacking assessment is a perfect example. Assessing with respect is another example. She is brilliant. So Star okay. Saxstein would be my go to if you are intrigued by this and want to know more and really want to push your thinking do a book study at school work any of those things look up star saxton also eric francis um he has a book and does a lot of work on now that's a good question how to ask questions to kids how to ask questions to each other or you can always go to law school and have your professors really grill you with the socratic method and really so if you really want to push things go to law school and that'll help you too um, I, I don't know that that's my first go-to, but glad that you brought that up, Dave. I always appreciate recommendations. Eric Francis, by the way, shout out to Eric. He's been a part of the Teach Better family for a while. He's also very active in uh, the Association of Illinois Middle Grade Schools, which we always appreciate here in Illinois. Um, he has a new book coming out on depth of knowledge yeah. uh, in just a few months. So the Teach Better team is excited to celebrate his work. How did you originally connect with Star out of curiosity? Because I like met her, like I bumped into her and then realized Holy cow, everyone I know knows you. That's exactly how I met her. Because, you know, in the world of education, when you meet one person, they introduce you to somebody else and they introduce you to somebody else. So um, I believe it was through my connection with Rochelle Denae Poth um, and then Jasmine Maslick. And then it just kind of like spirals from there. And Star is part of that crew. And um, she's she's brilliant. She's amazing. She's personable. Just she's she's awesome. 
Yeah, I've been a part of a few events with her. And then, of course, when I heard she was affiliated with ASCD, which I love and admire, I called up, you know, our friend Dr. Neil Gupta and was like, have you heard about this chick? And Neil was like, holy cow, she's phenomenal. And I'm like, hold up. If Neil likes her, <laughs> you know she's good people. So yeah. um, I love those resources and all those books. Guys, as you're as you're thinking about what you might dive into, these are these are people that have really invested a good chunk of their career in this avenue. There's so many different educators out there that are doing the research, doing the work in the trenches, and then thinking through how to actually apply this work in the classroom day to day. As you are getting ready for your day, mask on, sipping sipping your cold coffee, and trying to get into you know truly impacting learners. And I want to encourage all of you. They're not only great texts, but they're also good people. Go connect with them. I talked to Eric Francis like once a week. I think we were just texting yesterday and he's a good guy. He's always trying to help. Star is the same way. I don't nearly have the same personal relationship, but I've been a learner with her so many different times. And she's always just kind of like one direct message away. And so don't forget that these are not just resources that we can recommend to you, but these are, these are partnerships. These are connections that we'd love to have you take advantage of, regardless of if you go explore a book itself or not. So Dave, outstanding recommendations. And they are, they are people that will do the work to make sure that the recommendations they're providing are legitimate. And again, good, good people. So Good, good people. You know, friends, we are going to wrap up our daily drop-in. Dave, I can't believe that we're done with this conversation because I I've been like looking forward to this and I'm sad to see it end, but I will say um, you are constantly a resource for this dialogue. And I really, really, really appreciate that you popped on daily drop in to share just a little bit of the expertise that you have in this space. So thanks for, thanks for being here. Absolutely. All you had me at, can you hang out with me? Yes. I'm in. <laughs> we hope that each and every one of you has an incredible wet rest of your Wednesday, September 29th. It is going to be a stellar Wednesday. You guys don't even know all the goodness that's coming your way. You may not have won $400 million, but trust me, we will still have great things coming our way as we are getting our morning started. Please enjoy your last sip of coffee as you enter into the incredible day ahead of you. And I hope you choose to join us tomorrow on Thursday. Amanda Bittner will be here and we're going to continue this dialogue around questioning, assessment, and everything in between. And of course, wrap it all up in a pretty little bow with the one and only Brad Hughes at the end of the week. So Dave, thank you again for um, sharing your expertise and for everyone else. We'll see you later. Bye guys.